0: Good morning! Yeah, yeah, we are. It's time to wake up. It's five and we're live. Oh, is this thing on? I don't care. I want him to hear. This is the pregame show. Your early morning shot of sports on 95.7 The Game. Come on!
1: Good morning, family. Steven Lankford in on the pregame show, 95.7 The Game, leading you up until 6 o'clock as the morning roast will take you until 10. Today, we got Steph, we got Kevin Gosman, we got players that we're going to be highlighting today because... We had a weekend in baseball where the Giants took two of three from the Padres, and we had a Saturday night where Steph dropped 49 points in 29 minutes, and we'll get to all of that uh, today, but hope you had a happy Mother's Day. And just a quick story, so we were able to have Mother's Day with my family uh, yesterday, and last year actually it was pretty funny because my uh, sister-in-law, she was pregnant at the time, and she'd been pregnant for a while, and then it felt like, you know, at some point, the baby was going to come out, in last, and last year, on the Mother's Day, 12 hours later, it turns out, after we celebrated Mother's Day, uh, my nephew was born. Fast forward to a year later, uh, I see the nephew, and it's his birthday today, actually, but I see the nephew yesterday, and he's in that phase now where he just cries every single time that he sees you. Yeah, you know, it doesn't matter who it is. It's going to be any random family member. But as soon as he's not in a room that includes his mom, he's going to cry at whoever walks in that's random. So I'm at that point now where. My little nephew, the, uh, the the only thing I heard from him yesterday was just him crying in my face. Did you have an experience like that? 888 9570 is its X-line in the phone number. Hope you all had a, a great, terrific Mother's Day celebrating all the moms out there. But as mentioned, Steph Curry, Saturday night. I mean, what more can we say? Maladon she puts it on the deck, flipped it up on the go over Wiggins. Draymond! Fires back for the rebound. Locates Curry. Three on four. Takes about a 30. Footer! Absolutely, positively ridiculous shot by Curry. He was just lights out on Saturday night. 49 points in 29 minutes on the floor. He shot 21 three-pointers, overall had 26 shots, so five of the shots that he uh, that he took, beside, there were only five other shots that he took that weren't threes. He was 10 for 10 from the line, had five rebounds, had a couple of assists also, um, but most importantly, he had the 49 points, and that puts him in the lead uh, in scoring in the NBA on average. He leads Bradley Beal uh, at the moment. He has 39.4 points, while Bradley Beal, has 39.1, which is just an absolutely insane number uh, when you really think about it. But uh, man, I am looking at this game on Saturday, and I'm just thinking, I'm high on it, (laughs) okay? But we got to remember, this Thunder team, not very good, (laughs) right? They're not a very good team. And excuse me, I totally misspoke. Bradley Beal with 31.4 points per game, while Steph has 31.9. I accidentally flipped those numbers around. That was my bad. Realized how crazy that was as soon as I said it. But nevertheless, here we are. Um, That game on Saturday, when I was watching it against the Thunder, I'm just thinking, look, they got no shot, right? How much can we really draw from this matchup against OKC, who are out there rolling out a bunch of no-name players? They're not going out with the starting five. Um, That's going to be the part of the rotation that they build around. The only two other guys that they're going to build around, as we mentioned on Friday, after they uh, beat the Thunder on Thursday, was that they didn't have Alexey Pokushevsky nor Shea Gilgis-Alexander, two guys who they're really hoping to build this team around at some point in the future. You know Darius Baisley, he had a couple of nice buckets, but you know he didn't do anything much. He had 11 points on 12 shots. Lou Dort only scored 16 points on 13 shots, and then Maladon only scored 10 points on 12 shots. So overall, it was just an inefficient scoring night for the Thunder. But you know, watching Steph take advantage of these younger teams, I think that's been the greatest joy so far this season is the fact that after a year off, after a year where he didn't play and we're watching the Warriors team where it's kind of like, you know, what Thunder fans are watching right now is what we were watching last year, is we're watching a starting five where we maybe know that one or two guys uh, could be a part of this Warriors roster in the future, but ultimately we don't know. And something that we... Saw this year is a majority of the time. Steph is taking up double and triple teams, and his way of working around that has just been magnificent to watch. And and, and that's what I'm going to miss the most about this season, because we take those two, we take these two teams in the Thunder and then the Pelicans, who they played last week, and those two teams are guys who Steph couldn't figure out, or excuse me, who Steph had figured out. And Steph was just taking advantage. And I think that that's what I'm going to miss most about this basketball season, because one of the saddest parts as we come closer to this playing tournament and the Warriors got uh, the Jazz and the Suns on a back-to-back, so um, we'll see how that goes, and that starts tonight with the Jazz. Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell are out. But as we inch closer to this play-in tournament, who knows what's going to happen We don't know who's going to get that seventh spot. But for me, I'm just going to miss watch Steph take advantage of these teams because what it means is that the play-in tournament's right around the corner. Then, you know, you got playoffs, which means really we have, what, a month's left of Warriors basketball. So, you know, whether he wins the MVP, whether he, you know, gets bounced out from the play-in tournament— I think we just got to appreciate what we're, what we're watching with Steph, because think about that. 49 points, and he shot 21 threes, and you look at all those stats from these other guys on the Thunder, none of them took more than 13 shots overall. And Steph took 21. I'm good if Steph takes 20-plus threes for the rest of the season. I'm really good with it. But it is coming down to the wire. Um, another guy that we need to pay attention to is Draymond Green as well, because he's actually having a pretty damn good month of May. Uh, But here's Steph after the game. And as we mentioned before, uh, Bradley Beal had 50 points the night before scoring. And Steph was asked if he knew that Bradley Beal had scored 50 points. Did
0: you know Beal had 50 uh, before before it tipped tonight? Of course I did. Did you know how many you needed to, to... uh Take the lead. No, I didn't go that level. I I watched everybody in the league. I know what he's what he's doing. He's obviously playing at a high level. But anytime somebody gets fifty, you hear about it. Did you think about it at all from a scoring title perspective, or just hey, Bradley Beal got fifty? That's that is a second thought <laughs> for sure.
1: In the third quarter, Steph had twenty two points alone. And he put up 11 threes, knocked down five of them, and he also had three free throws. And this year, in the third quarter, look, these numbers, they may not seem like much. They may not seem like much, but in the third quarter this year, we know how Steph's rotations work out. He goes in the the entirety of the first quarter, sits in the second, then comes in toward halftime. And then you bring him in for the entire third quarter. He sits in the fourth, then comes back in with about, you know, six, seven minutes left in the fourth quarter, depending on the game that it is. But in the third quarter this year, when Steph uh, averages 11.8 minutes in each third quarter, he's averaging 11 points, knocking down 48% of his shots and 40 and shooting 43% from three. Look, those numbers may not seem like much, but when it is his quarter, the first and third, it is Steph's quarters. You know, sometimes when they close out games, it might be going in a different direction because Steph has just been exerting so much energy. But the third quarter is when you know Steph is going to show out. And when you're averaging 11 points per third quarter, that's nuts. Dudes don't average 11 points a game. (laughs) You know, some of these guys on the Thunder barely put up 11 points in this game alone on Saturday night. And Steph is averaging 11 points per third quarter. I know it may not seem like a ton, but when you really sit back and you think about it, it's just 11 points for every third quarter. In the entirety of the first quarter, he only averages nine. So... Entirely two more points, averaging that is a lot, especially when you're in for the entirety of those quarters. So when I saw those numbers, I was just thinking, man, that third quarter on Saturday night, it feels like he does that on a regular basis during the third quarter, and he does but averaging 11 points per third quarter. Uh, That number really stood out to me when I checked that out. Uh, But another guy we're talking about when it comes to scoring is Draymond Green. And Steve Kerr had the line of the post-game interview because Draymond has been great, right? And he's kind of the... The, the, the straw that stirs the drink, he's the one that runs the offense, lets Steph get off screens and get off double teams, and he makes the uh, correct pass, makes quick decisions, and in this game, excuse me, in this game, Draymond had a- another... Triple-double in the most Draymond Greed way fashionable, but he had 15 points and 13 assists, and he only actually had five rebounds. But Draymond, after the game, Steve Kerr was talking about him, and said... Look, it's gravy when Draymond scores.
0: There's a there's an energy level that, that that the team feels, I think, when Draymond is knocking down shots and talking trash to his opponent to you know tell him to come out and guard him and that kind of stuff. So and it also opens up the floor when he's making threes like he like he was tonight. So I've been saying it for weeks now. Draymond is having a spectacular season. Obviously, if if you know if he's making threes, it's it's just kind of gravy. Uh, because of everything else he already does it was fun to see him knocking down shots tonight man
1: here's my thing when it comes to Draymond though we always just say you know everything that Draymond does um on the court besides scoring he brings such value to the team he's such he brings such value passing the ball he brings such value playing good defense but then the scoring is kind of added on to it well, going forward here and I you know I've been saying this all season but as long as Draymond heaves up at least 3 to 4 three-pointers a game because he's left open so often and then you have these random ones where he'll knock down 3 of 4 That just opens things up more for the offense. And I don't think it's much of a surprise that Steph was able to have the game that he was having, especially in the third quarter when he goes for 22 points, because of what opens up when a defender actually wants to pay attention to Draymond, when he's open at the top of the key and and he's knocking down the threes. So I think more often than not, if, if, if he's open... You know, and it doesn't have to be every single time. If he sees an open pass and he can make it, uh, then obviously he should do that. But if he can take you know, three to four shots a game, maybe even five if he's feeling himself, because he's going to get those open looks, I think, you know, it's more often than not, You're mo- he's most likely going to be knocking down uh, only one, most likely two of them. But I just think that having that threat on the outside, it's something that you're going to need not only in this playing tournament, and if you make it into the playoffs, but also next season too, when you know Clay Thompson's not going to be coming back fully healthy, you hope James Wiseman can be the starting center, and uh, you know Andrew Wiggins is going to be the number. Uh, you know he's going to be at the three spot. You're gonna you're gonna have to rely on him for scoring, but you can't always do that. Uh, I think Draymond is going to have to continue like that and stay consistent. So yeah, sure, anything scoring extra is gravy. But I also think it's pretty necessary in order for the Warriors to stack up the W's and get the wins and put themselves back into, you know, a top five spot because having the threat of just another shooter on the floor makes Steph, Clay, all those other guys more lethal, at least whenever they're all on the court together. But triple eight nine five seven-nine five seven zero is the text line and the phone number if you want to weigh in on anything today. Tonight. We have the Warriors and the Jazz. It's the first half of a back-to-back with two teams who are trying to get to the top spot of the Western Conference. We'll see what happens tonight. But coming up next, I did a little digging after the Giants took two of three from the Padres, and there are three players who stuck out to me. Buster Posey, Austin Slater, and Kevin Gosman. And I just, you know, dug through some stats for theirs of theirs through this season, and some of them are pretty eye popping. So, we'll get to all those next. triple eight nine five seven nine five seven zero 9570, Stephen Langford on the pregame show, 957 the game. Now back
0: to the pregame show on 957 the game. Here's Stephen
1: Langford. 888 is the text line and the phone number if you want to weigh in on anything today. I got these stats for the Giants for three different guys. For Austin Slater, for Buster Posey, and for Kevin Gosman. And the ones that Gosman has put up this year, or at least hasn't put up this year, what opposing batters are doing against him... It's crazy when looking at every uh, little detail. So I did some digging yesterday and found some stats from for Kevin Gosman that are just absolutely uh, eye popping. Uh, a little later on in the show, we got something happening with the Mets. And look, say what you want about the the A's or the Giants, and you know all the narratives surrounding them. The Giants are a half game back of the best record in the National League. You know, and the whole thing is, can they sustain it? The Giants aren't for real, and all the haters will say that sort of stuff. And with the A's, it's just, well, let's just see what they could do come playoff time. But at least they don't have the dysfunction like the Mets uh, as of right now. So we'll get to that a little later on in the program. Uh, but the reason that I chose those three, guy, those three guys is uh, in the Giants series win over the Padres as they took. Uh, two of three from the Padres. Of course, they had the five-four win on Friday, the 7 one win on Saturday, and then yesterday uh, losing eleven to one. And let's just take yesterday out of it. You know, Johnny Cueto uh, comes back from the IL. Didn't get a didn't get a start, a rehab start in the minor leagues, and you know he didn't look great as far as his location his velocity was up and really if you're watching him he didn't look like the type of pitcher who was injured he was just missing some locations obviously Cronenworth and Fernando Tatis both cracked one off of him Cronenworth into the bay while uh Fernando Tatis had a 454 footer i mean that dude's just so fun to watch but not a good outing for Cueto yesterday and uh you know that one is kind of just it is a, it was a get over game for the Padres. You know, they needed to get over the last two days after losing two in a row, um especially the one on Saturday losing 7-1. But a couple of guys who stood out over the weekend were Buster Posey and Austin Slater. And we'll get to Austin Slater in just a second. But Posey's been on absolute fire already. You know, he's hitting exactly 400 for the year. And he has eight home runs on the season, five of which have actually come with two outs, by the way. So uh, with two outs, Buster Posey's been a damn good hitter. But this month, he's currently eight for 14 with a pair of homers. But the only thing is, he only has three RBIs. And so I did some digging yesterday. And here's my thing with Buster Posey. He's been great and really it makes me happy to see him do well again because going back all the way to the time when he was with the San Jose Giants and I watched him play against the Modesto Nuts, you know, you knew that there was a star in the making there. And then obviously we know what, he, we know what he's uh, what he's done in the past decade. But then in 2019, I was made sad. I was made sad by watching this dude who I'd seen grow up through this Giants organization who I'd seen have so much success, and you'd see him be one of the more dangerous hitters from the catcher position that we've seen. But then in 2019, it felt like that was all that all had gone away. You know, he wasn't really catching up to fastballs. He seemed late on any, everything. He seemed very in, indecisive, and his timing wasn't there. You know, he has one of those swings where uh, you know, with the leg kick, he times it out perfectly, and you know, as soon as he gets that foot down, that's when the pitch is coming, and he's making his his decision to swing the bat. But with him this year, it's been completely different, and he has been the Giants' most most lethal hitter, even though. You know he's not going to be playing a series like the one on over the weekend, where you got a night game on Friday, then you got a Saturday day game. That's when you're going to be bringing in Kirk Casale, and then you're going to be bringing him bringing him in for the Sunday matchup. So you're only going to get two of three of him, uh, two of three, if that's how it's going to be working out over the weekends. Uh, but here's the thing with Posey: if he's your most lethal hitter, you need the team to get on base. Posey's only had fifteen of his 75 at-bats with runners in scoring position. That's only 20% of the time. Now, if you look at a couple of others, I looked at uh, Brandon Bell, I looked at Evan Longoria, and I looked at Brandon Crawford. Brandon Crawford's actually hovering around the same number, and that's why he's always getting solo home runs. But if you look at guys like Longoria and Bell, who have had more at-bats than him, uh, by the way, instead of being in that 20% range... They're actually in that twenty-seven to twenty-eight percent range when they have runners in scoring position when they're at the, when they're at the plate. So when you combine what Buster Posey's doing with the fact that nobody's on base, I, I, I do think that that is uh, a little alarming. But um, Posey's been great, and you know every time he gets to a three-two count, it feels like he's going to more often than not get a hit, and the numbers back that up. And and again, it's just so much more fun watching him uh this year as opposed to the years previous when I was made sad by watching his swing. But nevertheless, let's see if he keeps that up. Uh one guy I also want to get to, though, and a guy who, you know, might not get enough love around the league, he's gonna be a guy who not many people can name, but that's Austin Slater. Slater drives one to right. Look at him out of here. And the Giants
0: take the lead. Home run number three for Slater. Greatest thing they ever did is close up the right side of this park. It has opened up right field. Second time tonight we've seen a right-hander leave Earth. And Slater at a 2-1 count, Olive Buster Posey smacks it right over
1: the wall. Now he had a couple of home runs over the weekend, uh, one of which was a pinch hit home run, and he's currently boasting a 3-4 for four, uh, record at the plate um, as a pinch hitter. But overall right now, he's hitting 3-10 at home. Hitting 310, you compare that to a sub 200 average during away games, then it's going to have an effect on your overall average. And right now he's just hitting a 230 overall. But to me, if you can give me a batter like this who can perform well at home, he can play good defense, good enough defense at least compared to the rest of the team. And you can get him in the starting lineup when you bring in a lefty like they did with Blake Snell on Friday. And then when there's a righty in, you don't necessarily want to start him and put him, in, put him in the lineup. Then you can put him as a pinch hitter in certain situations, and he can uh, he, he's not going to chase many pitches. As a matter of fact, he's in the 83rd percentile among all, all qualified hitters as far as chase rate goes. Now, chase rate is just how many swings you take uh, out of the zone, essentially. And he doesn't chase many pitches right, in the 83rd percentile. So, um, you know, he's just as good as a majority of of guys in baseball as far as just chasing pitches. That's not bad. So if you can, you know, use this dude in certain situations, be confident that he can hit off lefties, and then bring him in as a pinch hitter while also playing good defense— That's the type of guy that I like uh, on these teams. It's not always just the stars, but it can be the backups as well. And not only that, but it's pretty crazy. He hasn't hit. And And I looked at the spray chart of the hits that he's had this year. There hasn't been one that's landed in left field that's a base hit. Now, sure, he's pulled the ball a couple of times, but they've mostly just uh, been grounders that have gotten through the infield and gotten to the outfield for a hit. But as far as line drives, you know, ones that go over the shortstop and the third baseman's heads into left field, he hasn't done that at all this year. Everything has either been going to center field or to right field. And when you're in this age now of guys who are constantly trying to pull the baseball, guys who... The defense has to account for as far as shifts go. You know, it's not like when Slater's at the plate, the third baseman is thinking, okay, I gotta go all the way, um, you know, to center field. He can really put the ball anywhere that he wants to. And I I just think Slater has been a a nice little story this season, uh, as far as you know, just on top of Buster Posey and the resurgence that he's having. Um, So I've enjoyed watching Austin Slater. And really, when he's at the plate, I got a lot of confidence that he's at least going to get some sort of base hit. And if you get him on the base pass, at least you got a speedy runner out there who can do some damage. So I like what Slater's been doing. Um, he stood out over the weekend for sure, especially with uh, what he did on Friday and that highlight that I just played. Uh, but 888 is the text line and the phone number if you want to weigh in. What has been your favorite story so far of this Giants season? Has it been what Buster Posey's done? Has it been just the fact that the Giants are playing winning baseball? Or has it been... Kevin Gosman and what he has been doing on the mound. Well, you can make that decision. We'll talk about Kevin Gosman coming up next because these stats that he has are insane and what he's been doing to batters. I just think that right now, when we're talking about guys who are going to have a lot of value uh, come trade deadline... Kevin Gosmans right now, I think is just sky high. Triple eight, nine, five, seven, nine, five, seven, zero. What has been your favorite story of the Giants so far this season? We'll get to that next. Plus we got the Warriors and the Jazz. It's the most important game going forward because every single game now toward the end of the season is the most important game for the Warriors. So we'll get to all that next. Triple eight, nine, five, seven, nine, five, seven, zero. Stephen Lightford in on the pregame show. 957 the game.
0: Now back to the pregame show on 95.7 The Game. Here's Stephen Langford.
1: Good morning, everyone. 888-957-9570 is the text line and the phone number if you want to weigh in on anything today. We'll get to the Warriors and their place in the Western Conference because everything... Game by game is starting to get a little more exciting, especially when you're just standings watching. And it's never great radio when you're doing that at the beginning of the season. But now in this final stretch of games here, uh, these are the most important ones. And what's going on around the Western Conference uh, has been pretty wild. So we'll get to that uh, coming up. But Kevin Gosman is a guy I wanted to highlight. We talked about the Giants in the last segment, um, Buster Posey and Austin Slater. The fact that you know both those guys they stood out to me over the weekend in this series. And don't look now, but the Dodgers have lost 11 of their last 14. They've lost five straight series, and I don't know what's going on with them. I don't know if the the fact that you know they've been without Cody Bellinger, um, Dustin May. Their, their, star, their young star pitcher needs Tommy John surgery, so he's not going to be in. You know, I don't know what's going on with them. They're just not getting the offensive production. But the Giants are at least capitalizing it, on it uh, as of right now. But I did want to focus on Kevin Gosman. Because on Saturday, he had yet another great outing. <laughs> I mean, he's just been absolutely lights out. But here are here's what has impressed me so much um about Gosman when I did a little digging. Well, first off, it's just the fact that he has gotten that fastball, splitter, changeup combination down pat. He knows when to pitch it, he knows which bats are going to uh, he knows which bats are going to be missing that pitch. He knows which players are going to be chasing. He's in the or in like the eighty eighty fifth percentile among pitchers who have uh, who face oppositions that chase their pitches. So he's in like the eighty fifth percentile there. He has been fantastic. And when you do a little digging, though, here are the things that stood out to me when it comes to Kevin Gosman. He's faced 30 batters so far that have got him to a 2-2 count, okay? That may not seem like many, considering, you know, he's been out there for multiple starts and he goes late into ball games. but he's only faced 30 batter- batters so far that have gotten a 2-2 count. Out of those 30 batters, now they've gone on, four of them have gone on to walk in that at-bat, but out of those 30 batters, none have got a hit. When he's got him to a two-two count, zero hits have been given up, which means that he, sure, he might get, he might, uh, you know, fall behind in the count, get to a two-one situation. But when he gets it back to two-two, and these batters have no idea what's coming, that's the outcome that you're going to get. The fact that he's given up no hits when he's in to a two-two situation. When I saw that number. It blew my mind. It absolutely blew my mind. You could go to a 3-2 count and you know he's walked a considerable amount but he's also struck out a considerable uh, considerable amount in that in, in when it's in a full count. But when it's in 2-2, two, two, there's plenty of situations that you can have to play with and it can easily easily end up in a hit or a strikeout and then or it can also lead to a walk. Only four of them had led to walks, so that leaves 26 other batters and really They've either grounded out or struck out. They haven't gotten a hit, which is just insane to me. Here's some other stuff. The first time through the order, let's go through the order numbers. Now, we understand that in baseball, the reason that pitchers don't stay in for too long is because, you know, batters are uh, so much better when they're on, when they're in their third time through the order, right? That's what the Rays did uh, with Blake Snell last year. When we got to Game 7 and were wondering why Kevin Cash, the Rays' manager, was taking Blake Snell out after he was absolutely dealing against the Dodgers, well, it's because that's the formula they went with throughout the entire year, which is Blake Snell is going to get through the order twice. He's going to be dominant through then, but then by the time they get through the third time of the order— then we're going to bring in the bullpen and see if we can get the guys out that way instead of leaving Blake Snell in. And really, it was a formula that worked. It really was. And, you know, obviously it's got to be more of a gut feeling when you're in the final game of a World Series and it's on the line. And you should probably use your head a little bit more instead of using the numbers. But the numbers did say that the Rays have had success in those situations. But the through the order numbers for Kevin Gosman, here they are. In the opposition's first time through the order, against Gosman, they're batting 117. He's only given up five earned runs on seven hits, three of which were just solo home runs, and that's less than a two ERA. So that's the first time through the order. Dudes aren't even hitting 120 against him in their first time facing up in the the order. The second time through the order... Hitters are just hitting only over 200. They're at 207, and he's only given up three earned runs on 12 hits. Now, now that's just crazy, because in those second time through the order, he's also struck out 19 guys, and he's done the same in the first time through the order, too. He struck out 19 in each of those situations. So the first time through the order, guys are barely batting 120. Second time through the order, maybe some of them will figure it, will have figured it out. Not really. They're only batting two oh seven. Then in the third time through the order, this is where it gets interesting because you'd expect the numbers to go up, right? This is our third time facing this guy. We understand where he's going to go. We understand that he's going to be throwing that fastball or that splitter. We know when it's going to come. But in the second time through the order, th- the third time through the order, excuse me, hitters are only batting two oh five against him and he's only given up two earned runs on nine hits. They're only hitting 200 against him when he gets through the third uh, through the lineup for a third time. He's only given up two earned runs and nine hits. Now, sure, the amount of it bats in the first time and the second time through the order, much higher than in the third time through the order. So maybe the average, even though it's a little lower, they, they, they've gotten a few more hits off of it early on. But... That just goes to show that not only is he just dominating from the get-go, guys are only batting 117 against him in their first time up, uh, uh, their first time through the order, but that tells me that these hitters are not only just confused at first, but they're also confused throughout the entire time that they're facing him. Now, the fourth time through the order, those numbers, he hasn't gotten many at-bats there, so we can't really count that uh, in in this context here, but... The first time, the second time, and the third time, no one's been dominant uh, from him in that fashion. And as a matter of fact, if you just go down the splits, if you just go down everything, versus lefties, versus righties, home, away, whatever it is, uh, I can't even remember which one. I didn't want to throw too many numbers out at you, but in a certain situation, hitters are hitting 255 against him in one of his splits. That's the highest amount, which is just, which is crazy. And here's the other one that got me. He has faced a batter 24 times when there are runners in scoring position. With runners in scoring position. 24 times when there's a runner on 2nd and 3rd or on 2nd or 3rd, depending. He's only given up one hit in those 24 times. One hit when there are runners in scoring position. And 24 is really not that much. So... When you look at it, the number of times that runners are in scoring position in the first place is low. And the times when there are runners in scoring position, he's only given up one hit. His fastball, their splitter, it's being used exclusively. He's getting a lot more guys to ground out with his splitter. Actually, the ground ball percentage um, from this year compared to last year has gone up about 10%. About 60% of the time, it was he was getting a ground ball out um, with that splitter. This year, it's at 70%, which is exactly the number that you want it. That means that he's locating it in the lower part of the zone, which is where you want to locate your splitter, and you want to get guys to chase, which he has been getting guys to do. So it's not just the raw stats when you look at it. It's not just the fact that he's got a sub-2 ERA right now overall, and he's 3-0 and uh, in the league, and he's 17th in the league in strikeouts but in these situations the one that popped out of me when the runner, when their hitters are in a 2-2 two, two count and they're only hitting uh 100 off of them that's insane to me in a 2-2 two, two count <laughs> I, mean, I mean i mean in those situations who knows but i mean who who knows what other pitchers are doing You know, I'm not going to act like I've been through every single pitcher, but in a 2-2 count, when no one's gotten a hit, he's only given up um, a a couple of walks and struck out quite a few guys. These numbers that uh, you look at, you go down the splits, it's just so impressive. I don't know what they're going to do with him in the future. I mean, we're getting here from the 408. Sale, sale, and sale depends on the value. That's what I trust Farhan to do. Um, clearly, when Bumgarner, uh, when he was at his peak last year or a couple of years ago, and um, you know we didn't know whether we should keep Bumgarner around, whether we should wait till the uh, you know the the playoffs come around because that's where Bumgarner's the most deadly. I was thinking that at the time, there's no way Farhan got the value that he felt like he could get uh, for Go- or for for Bumgarner, and that could be the same this year. You know, maybe it just works. With this team, maybe it just works. And the thing I like about Gosman the most is he just doesn't seem to get phased. You know, it's it's kind of like the uh, it's kind of like the 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 Chuck Norris meme. You know, where they have a box of Chuck Norris faces and they all look the same, and it shows this is the mood of Chuck Norris when he's happy, sad, intoxicated, whatever it is. I don't know, but his face always looks the same. That's kind of like Gosman. Although Gosman does so show, show some emotion on the field when there's a nice play or, or, or whatever in the outfield, and he's trying to talk up his defense. But overall, on the mound, when he's just doing his job, he just goes out there and does it. And I think that's, that's what I've liked so much uh, about watching Gosman so far this season, as he had yet another uh, great outing on Saturday. All right, before we transition to Warriors, I want to get to this strange story that is going on with the Mets. Now the Mets right now, they're not that great, and they're they you know they're starting to suffer from injury. Jacob Degrom is obviously, um, you know, is obviously one of the best pitchers in baseball. Uh, he actually had to walk off the mound yesterday. The NL East in general just hasn't been good, but on <laughs> Saturday there was something that happened with the Mets in the middle of the game. And there was an error up the middle of the field. Francisco Lindor at short and Jeff McNeil at second. Jeff McNeil has been a dude that's hitting over three hundred. He has been an all-star for the Mets. Um, And there was an error that was made and a clear miscommunication. And this happened in the middle of the game. And if you check out the video, right, if you check out the video of what happened after, you see that there's a video of the Mets players running into the dugout, into the locker room, and really, they look like players who are trying to break something up, trying to break up a, a, a altercation, a kerfuffle, if you will. That's exactly what it looked like. It wasn't just a run and, hey, come look at this, because Francisco Lindor was asked about this situation after where there was clearly an argument between him and Jeff McNeil on the field, and then the players were running, for something in the locker room, but we couldn't see what it is because of the camera. Here's Francisco Lindor's explanation afterwards.
0: Hey, Francisco. Um, what exactly happened in the uh, in the tunnel there? <laughs> Steve, it was, it was funny because I told him, I was like, hey, I'd never seen a New York rat, so we went down sprinting. I wanted to go see a New York rat, and he got mad at me. He's like, no, it's not a rat. It's a raccoon. I'm like, hell no, man. It's a damn rat. It's a New York rat, man. I was just crazy because... If we were going back and forth debating if it was a rat or a raccoon. <laughs> Crazy, man. Insane. Who, who was he? Who were you debating that with? With uh, we Jeff. With we Jeff. I was like, bro, you got you to gotta check this out. I was like, this is a New York rat. He's like, no, man, I've been here longer than you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's, I mean, when I'm hearing that, when I'm hearing that sort of chuckle, and I hear, is that a rat or a raccoon? I mean, there, there's no chance that they were just... In the middle of a baseball game, an important baseball game, there's no chance that two players are arguing whether he's seeing a rat, a New York rat, or a raccoon in the the tunnel. This is the greatest smokescreen that I've ever seen from a player when talking about it. Because when players do this, we've seen it in the post-game interviews before, they'll just say, nah, it was nothing. It was nothing. It was just an argument between two teammates. Hell, I mean, you, you had the, the heat in the Timberwolves over the weekend, and they were asked, Carl uh, Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards were asked about it after the game. They just said, you know, we're having a grown man conversation. You know, sure, I mean, there's a little trash talk here and there, and if you see the video, you hear what the mics picked up in that situation. But that's how normally players handle it, right? Is just say, look, they were just having a conversation. They were just talking. But when Francisco Lindor is asked about an altercation in the tunnel, a little argument after they made an error and had a miscommunication in the middle of the field, Lindor, he had a smile and everything. I mean, listen to these chuckles.
0: Hey, Francisco, um, what exactly happened in the uh, in the tunnel there? (laughs) <laughs> steve it was, it was funny because i told him i was like hey i'd never seen a new york rat so we went down sprinting <laughs> i want to go see a new york rat and he got mad at me he's like no it's not a rat it's a raccoon i'm like hell no man it's a damn rat it's a new york rat man i was just crazy because we were going back and forth debating if it was a rat or a raccoon <laughs> crazy man insane <laughs> who, who was he who are you debating that with uh, with Jeff, with Jeff, I was like, "Bro, you got you gotta check this out." I was like, "This is a new York ride. He's like, "No, man, I've been here longer than you."
1: <laughs> By the way, I'm not saying anything anything new here. Everyone knows it's BS. The Mets, uh, you know, shout out to their organization at Citi Field, but they've created a like a game on the jumbotron where they have a trivia questionnaire thing <laughs> and it, whether it's the right answer or the wrong answer depending it's either a rat that pops up or a raccoon that pops up and they created graphics out of it and are having fun with it but you know i can only imagine what it's like for a guy like mcneil who's you know an all-star and not getting paid nearly as much uh, as francisco Lindor. I mean, look, the, the guy's making less than a million dollars. He's only making He's only making 640000 uh, on the year. And you compare that with Lindor, who got a $340 million contract. Um, there was also a video that came out afterward, uh, yesterday, after they got a win. And, you know, they've made up him and McNeil. And, you know, there's no real fight that's going on. But what he makes up, whether it's a rat or a raccoon, that's just the best... BS that I've heard uh, in a very long time. All right. All right. All right. Time to move on. Triple eight nine five seven nine five seven zero is the text line and the phone number if you want to weigh in on anything today. And I have just one simple question here as the Warriors go on to face the Jazz, the first half of a back to back, as they also got the Suns tomorrow night. But my question is who do you want to see in the playing game now? Who do you want to see? Triple eight nine five seven nine five seven zero. Because as it goes right now, the Warriors are the eighth seed at thirty-five and thirty-three. The Grizzlies are a half game back at thirty-four and thirty-three in the ninth spot. And the Spurs, they continue to lose. They're four and six in their last ten. They're two games back of the Grizzlies. So right now, that tenth spot. I think it's, uh, you know, I don't think it's anyone's el- anyone else's besides the Spurs. Maybe the Pelicans can come back without Zion Williamson, as they did get a win last night over the Charlotte Hornets, which I do think was uh, kind of unexpected, especially since they've been without Zion. But it looks like the 10th spot is locked up with the Spurs. So there is a chance that the Warriors do play the Spurs, who don't look great, but have managed to guard Steph Curry and defend him really well. And you could shout out the good coaching for that. But there is a chance that it could be the Warriors and the Lakers, because the Lakers right now are in the seventh spot. They got a big win over uh, the Suns yesterday. Anthony Davis scoring 42 points. And he, you know, this is the first time that he's looked like Anthony Davis. But you could also be seeing the Blazers and possibly the Mavs. I mean they're all within two games of each other. That's what's pretty interesting about this whole thing. The 5 through 7 seeds, the Mavs, the Blazers and the La- the, the the Lakers, they're all within a couple of games of each other. The Warriors and the Grizzlies, they're in a battle right now, a half game uh, the War- as the Warriors are a half game up. Then the Spurs and the Pelicans, they're in a battle for 10th as the Pelicans are a game and a half back. But as we go forward and you know, I'm looking more and more at the schedules I'm good if the Warriors make the 8th spot regardless regardless of who's in the 7th. I just want the Warriors to make the 8th spot. That's all I want because I have every amount of faith in them that they can either beat the Grizzlies or the Spurs, which is what they do. If they're in the 8th spot and they lose, then they go on to whoever play or whoever wins in that 9 and 10 game. And that nine and ten game right now would be the Grizzlies and the Spurs. I'd expect the Grizzlies would come out on top, but whoever it is, I just want the Warriors in that eighth spot. And I don't know if it's going to be the Lakers. I don't know if it's going to be the Blazers, who are red hot right now. They're seven and three in their last ten. And the Blakers, the, the Blakers, the Blazers and the uh, Blazers and the Warriors. They always make it interesting when it comes to the playoffs. And it's kind of a little, uh, playoff rivalry in a way just because the Blazers can never get past the Warriors and they'd always be playing with a chip on their shoulder. But either way, if the Warriors make the eighth spot and whether it's the Blazers, the Lakers, or hell, even the Mavs, although the Mavs are, are eight and two in their last 10, they're in the fifth spot right now. It doesn't look like they're going to be taking a back seat to either one of these teams. Um, But just as long as I get the 8th spot, and we're talking Blazers versus Lakers, two teams who just constantly have been trying to beat the Warriors for a majority of the time in the past uh, half decade, I'd rather play them first, see what's up there, and then possibly lose, and then you can go on to play the Grizzlies or the Spurs. Right now, I'm having full confidence because... If Steph is going off the way that he's going off, and Draymond continues to play that he's playing in the month of May, right now, in the month of May, he's averaging a double-double. Um, He's averaging 10 assists and 10 rebounds. It's just the points that he needs to uh, score a little more of. Once he gets that points total up, he could be averaging a triple-double uh, in the month of May by the time this season is over. But with those two guys and the way that they're playing right now with Steph and Draymond... I do believe it when there are the legends, the veterans, who, like Tony Allen, for example, who came on the morning roast and said, look, as long as you got Steph, as long as you got Dre, hell, as long as you got Klay Thompson when he comes back, you're always going to have a chance to contend for a championship because those guys understand the game. Just get to the playoffs. Just get to the playoffs, and that's really all we're asking here. We got the Warriors and the Jazz tonight. It's their most important matchup against the Jazz. Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell uh, will remain out. Donovan uh, Donovan Mitchell has been battling that ankle injury, while Mike Conley has been battling the hamstring injury. So you're not going to see those two guys uh, in tonight's game. But if you can at least split tonight uh, tonight or tomorrow and win one against the Jazz or the Suns, then you're fixing to be in a pretty good position uh, in the Western Conference. So we'll see what happens tonight And by the way, the Timberwolves and the whole thing that, you know, the top three pick and it's protected. I mean, we're not even thinking about the fact that there's a chance that the that the uh, that the Wolves are going to be getting a pick in the top three. It seems like it's the Warriors pick now. It really does with the amount that the Timberwolves are winning to close out the season. (laughs) But right now, it's not looking like they're even going to possibly get that fourth or fifth pick, depending on where the Timberwolves are at. The Timberwolves are continuing to win and really it's the most frustrating thing in the world. So we got to pay attention to the Timberwolves too and what they do, but we have the Warriors and the Jazz tonight. All right. Coming up next, Kate Scott, Bonte Hill and Joe, the Butcher Boy Shasky. They got Dave Fleming at eight o'clock.